Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Our good friend Siddhartha Ji's words. I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions. I am born of my actions and related through my actions. My actions will determine the fortune or misfortune in my life. My actions will determine the fortune or misfortune in my, in my life. This, what the Buddha is talking about here is both karma and rebirth and it relates directly to the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path. That's why that's so, that right speech, right action, and right livelihood is so important because that will inform and uh, describe our entire experience. So karma is the present... Mo- Let me back up just a little bit. Karma is not the... Uh, the, the it, it's not the popular version uh, that most people think of karma. The, karma is some grand uh, universal behavior modification system based on reward and punishment. It, it, it even sounds silly to say, but that's, that's how pop culture views karma, that somehow if you do something wrong, you're going to have to suffer the same consequences, and if you do a lot of good things, you're going to get a lot of good things. They're both false. They both have no, no basis in reality. Um, they, they really are, when you look at them um, closely and you look at the results of that type of thinking, they're just, it's just a mean-spirited and self-loathing way of taking something which is a brilliant teaching of the Buddha and, uh, and manipulating it into something that is really hurtful to people. Uh, and I say that because I've heard, I'm going to explain something in a moment, but I've heard this said over and over again uh, in relating, relating to um, uh, human suffering. So about uh, maybe 15 years ago, there was a huge tsunami that hit Japan and killed an awful lot of people. And I remember I heard one news forecast say, well, that must be their karma. It's just an awful thing to say. And they also said the same thing, by the way, about um, uh, gay people getting AIDS, that that's their karma. Again, I'm, I'm relating to how this, this misunderstanding of karma can be taken as such a huge extreme. When all the karma is, is the present moment unfolding of past intentional actions moderated by the present level of mindfulness. That's a lot of words that means that whatever is occurring right now, if I created a reaction to it in the past that I'm clinging to, that's an aspect of, of wrong mindfulness, by the way, in this moment, I'm going to react based on that. That's the present level of my mindfulness. But if in this present moment, my mindfulness is well-framed by jhana meditation and the entire Eightfold Path, then this moment will be a, an auspicious moment leading to the cessation of, of the effects of karma. So karma isn't permanent. Karma is entirely up to us. If, if all of you want to know what your karma is, right in this instant, get a mirror out and take a good look. That's our karma. Our karma is a present moment unfolding of past intentional actions moderated by the present level of our, of our mindfulness. So if we're holding in mind the tenets of the Eightfold Path, we are moving towards the cessation of karma and into a place where, there's, where we have nothing further through, for this world. And I'll, you'll hear the Buddha's words on what that means. The Buddha continues, whatever one continues to pursue with their thinking becomes the inclination of their awareness. Whatever we pursue with our thinking, that's another way of saying 
whatever we're mindful of. That's why I use the term refined mindfulness when we're living within the framework of the Eightfold Path. Whatever one continues to pursue with their thinking becomes the inclination of their awareness. It's what we're going to be focused on. Um, let me go a little further. Being mindful of right intention and abandoning thinking imbued with craving, clinging, and, sensual, and sensuality inclines the mind toward release. So again, this is we're relating everything here now to dependent origination and the beginning part of the Eightfold Path and recognizing the, the, the importance of our thoughts, words, and deeds, and in particular the thoughts we have, we're holding against ourselves. Karma should be understood correctly. Again, the Buddhist, now we're, we're going back 2,600 years now. Why is the Buddhist saying that to his Sangha, who should certainly know what karma is? Because they don't. Because even during the Buddhist time, there was a popular way of looking at karma that contradicted the way the Buddha used the word karma. So the Buddha used the word karma in a completely contradictory way to, to what everyone else was using it at the time. Karma should be understood correctly. The cause of karma should be understood. The diversity of the results of karma should be understood. The diversity of the result means that we don't... An aspect of impermanence is uncertainty. So we don't know what the... Um, what the results of our wrong mindfulness are going to be. It could, it could manifest in an in, in infinite number of ways, excuse me. And that can be very confusing until we, meet, until we remember that it's all just an aspect of wrong mindfulness or holding in ideas that are contrary to reality. The Buddha continues, the path developing the cessation of karma should be understood. Of course, that's the Buddha's Eightfold Path. The Buddha continues, intention is karma. So again, going back to the, to the, the, um, the Four Noble Truths, the second Noble Truth is that craving for and clinging to fabricated views of self or craving for or clinging to ignorant views of self leads to further ignorance, leads to further suffering. So right intention, the second factor of the Eightfold Path, is the intention rooted in jhana meditation and refined mindfulness the intention to recognize in this moment as it arises, because that's the only time that we can do it, as it arises, as it's manifest in our life, to recognize and abandon craving and clinging in this moment. And everything the Buddha teaches, everything we're going to look at in our next structured study on Vipassana relates directly to this. What's arising in this moment? You've heard me say often that the only place, the only time that we can practice the Dhamma is right here and right now. There's no Dhamma yesterday. There can be no Dhamma tomorrow. There's no Dhamma in the last moment and there's no Dhamma in the next moment. The Dhamma is right here and right now. And it is in this present moment that we're able to establish ourselves through jhana meditation, through concentration, and the refined mindfulness so we know what to hold in mind in this moment. And then this moment, this moment is the moment that we can bring karma to cessation and awaken. If we're not holding in mind the principles of the Eightfold Path, we're hopeless as far as awakening is concerned. And we can only further our karma, meaning further continuing reacting to past acts that have conditioned our mind into this present moment. Is that last clear to everyone? That it's our conditioned mind in this moment that doesn't allow us to actually live within the framework of the Dhamma in this moment. That's clear? 
Because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the effects of condition. Conditioned mind is another way of saying the description of karma, the present moment unfolding of past intentional actions, now moderated by refined mindfulness. The Buddha continues, intention is karma. With intention, one does karma through thought, word, and deed. Does karma. Relates directly to right speech, right action, and right livelihood, doesn't it? So if we want to stop doing karma, meaning creating negative, negative is the wrong word, creating hurtful and ignorant influences on our own life, we'll take to the Dharma and awaken. And it's the only way. And what is the cause that initiates karma? Relates directly to dependent origination. Ron, what is it? I <laughs> put you on the spot. What is the cause that initiates karma? Where do we come in? Uh, I almost used the wrong the, the the word that was given away. Where do we come? Where do we interface with our karma, or how do we? That's it. <laughs> and doesn't that... Very good, Rob. Doesn't that make sense? Well, I mean, I'll read the line. What is the cause that initiates karma? Contact, as Ram told us. So think about this. And again, going all the way back to dependent origination, where it teaches us that at the initiation of contact through the sixth sense base is where we start manifesting either wisdom or ignorance. So a mind rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, when we come in contact in this moment with ordinary phenomena arising and passing away, not getting enough chocolate cake or, or having an argument with our spouse or whatever it might be that's causing a distraction in our mind, in that moment, as we're coming in contact with our karma, with what's occurring, with what's manifesting on our life, we have a choice. We can either practice wise restraint and refine mindfulness or... We can continue ignorance and continue reacting to and being distracted by what's arising in this moment. And in that way, we could spend 150 years on this planet and never live one day because we're stuck in the past and we're thrown into the future. The Buddha discovered a way to understand that the effects of karma keep us out of this present moment. But by recognizing and abandoning our contributions to karma... We can now practice wise restraint and live for the first time right here, right now, in this moment. The Buddha continues, and what is the cessation of karma? From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of karma. Makes sense, doesn't it? But of course, the Buddha is not saying we should isolate ourselves and never come in contact with anyone or anything in the world. He means that we should guard our senses. Meaning we should, another way of saying that within the Dhamma is guard the sixth sense base as if our lives depend on it because it does. Our lives do depend on it. We should practice wise restraint at the point of contact. And so the, the Buddha as, uh, ascribes consciousness to each of our senses, meaning the eye has consciousness, the nose has consciousness, the ear has consciousness, etc., etc. And so when something comes in contact I'll give a good example that Meg, Meg might uh, would understand this, I think. Um, a mind rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths can perceive something or will perceive something entirely different from a mind that is rooted in reality. And so I thought of this, maybe because Meg's on, 
Um, there's this phenomenon that happens in Hawaii, and I, I assume other places that are close to the equator. Uh, it's called the green flash. Meg, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Okay, Kevin, I think you, I think you do too. So the green flash is is a is a, a natural phenomenon, although it looks pretty unnatural. As you're looking out at the sunset, I mean, over the Pacific Ocean, uh, as soon as the sun sets, due to certain um, conditions, atmospheric conditions, it doesn't happen every sun. It's very rare. But as soon as the sun sets, you'll see this this explosion of an emerald green light across the horizon. It's it's incredible. It's fantastic, and I've seen it twice. And both times when I saw it, uh, you got to you know picture this. I got up off the beach and I started dancing because it was so incredible. Now, I wasn't quite awakened yet. The next day I went to the same beach, no green flash, and I was disappointed. I gave birth to another moment rooted in ignorance because of my insistence that the next sunset should be as wonderful as the past sunset. My mind was stuck in the past and I was thrown into the future in anticipation of oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And when it didn't happen, I set myself up for disappointment. That's a true meaning of, of giving birth, too. The, the Buddha never taught... Meg, is that your experience, too, with the green flash? Yeah, it wasn't quite as dramatic as what you described. Well, I can be dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretty incredible, though, isn't it? It, it really is, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it, so... Um, so the, the Buddha never taught uh, physical birth as having any particular significance in understanding human life. Because if we're here, having a human life, we've been born. We don't have to look at that or examine it. We're living the, the effects of being born. In fact, the Buddha teaches dukkha. The first aspect of dukkha is birth is dukkha. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be stress and suffering. But we're having a human life. We don't have to consider how we got here. We're already here. And a Buddha never taught anything that would relate to a future birth, whether in a physical realm or a non-physical realm. Because, why? Because he's concerned about our human life right here and right now. Not the past, not the future. We're having a human life right here and right now. So what the, the Buddha's use of the word birth is what are we giving birth to in this moment? Excuse me. <clears throat> and so using that example of the green flash, I gave birth to a moment rooted in ignorance in anticipation of tomorrow's sunset better be as wonderful, wonderful as this sunset. Or tomorrow's chocolate cake but has to be as good as this one. Or that kiss has to be as good as the next one. That's conditioned thinking. That's the whole point of giving birth. What am I giving birth to in my thinking in this moment? Or if I'm practicing wise restraint... What am I not giving birth to? Another moment rooted in ignorance. It also relates to the Buddhist teachings on emptiness. We should empty ourselves of ignorance. And how does one experience the cessation of contact? How does one experience the cessation of contact using our sixth sense base to continue to interpret our thoughts, words, and our deeds, our life from a, a view of ignorance of four noble truths? Through the cessation of contact, meaning I am now, I've now gained the ability through jhana meditation and refined mindfulness, the profound ability to guard my six senses, to no longer let my senses reaffirm ignorance. Because now that my senses are, fra- are, are resting in jhana and framed by the Eightfold Path, they can only interpret life as life unfolds through reality, through the reality of Four Noble Truths. 
That's how, how karma comes to cessation through contact, through the Dhamma, in this moment practicing wise restraint, in this moment practicing refined mindfulness. The Buddha, and this is another section here too, a fool and a wise person can both be characterized by their actions. It is through the actions of one's life that reveals the fool or the sage. And of course, the Buddha is not talking about um, living life within uh, the moral structures of society, although that's important. He's talking about a, the wise person lives within the framework, framework of the Eightfold Path. The fool does not. Does not. That's all. And so we're not, to, we're not talking about, we're not calling other human beings who aren't practicing the Dhamma fools. I'm not saying that everybody that's, that's not practicing the Dhamma right now is a fool. In relation to the Dhamma, you're foolish if you don't take to the Dhamma. So the Buddha is talking to the Sangha. So I'm talking to you as a Sangha. If you're not engaging in the, in the Eightfold Path as Dhamma practitioners, you're being foolish. That's the Buddha's use of the word fool. The fool engages in three things. Bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct, and mental misconduct. The sage engages in three things. Good bodily conduct, good verbal conduct, or good mental conduct. You could also say skillful bodily conduct, skillful verbal conduct, and skillful mental conduct as it relates to the Eightfold Path. Thus, friends, train yourselves as a sage in thought, word, and deed, relating directly to right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Train yourself in thought, word, and deed. Be mindful of your thoughts. Be mindful of what comes out of your mouth. And be mindful of your actions. Are they in accordance with the Eightfold Path? Are they framed by right view and right intention? If they're not, notice it and abandon that behavior. Don't analyze it. Don't beat yourself up over it. Don't judge yourself harshly. Don't blame others or a president over it. It could be the one now. Take responsibility for your karma and you can end it. At Savati, the Buddha said, Friends, what a person wills, what they plan, what they dwell on, meaning what we're mindful of, forms the basis for the continuation of consciousness. So there's a choice there. We can dwell on, we can hold in mind Ignorance of Four Noble Truths, so we can hold in mind the Eightfold Path. And that will decide the continuation of our consciousness, what our thinking is about. This basis being present, consciousness has a lodgment. Consciousness being lodged... I'm sorry, I lost the word. Consciousness being lodged there and growing... Rebirth of renewed existence takes place in the future, and from this renewed existence arise birth, decay, and death, grief, regret, suffering, sorrow, and despair. Such is the uprising of this entire mass of suffering. Meaning, if we're holding in mind wrong aspects of the Eightfold Path, we can only hope to give birth in the next moment to another moment of suffering. That's what the Buddha is teaching here. He's not teaching about if we're, if we're not living within the tenets of the Eightfold Path, we're going to suffer in another life. We're going to suffer in the next moment, is what the Buddha is teaching. Even if a person does not will and plan, yet if they dwell on something, this forms as a basis for the, for the continuation of consciousness. Rebirth takes place. 
But if a person neither wills nor plans nor dwells on anything, no basis is formed for the continuation of consciousness. Dwelling on anything meaning in a self-referential way. So let me just say that last again. But if a person neither wills nor plans nor dwells of anything that is not self-referential, no basis is formed for the continued formation, continuation of consciousness. Again, consciousness rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. This basis being absent, consciousness has no lodgment. It's simply free. It's liberated. Consciousness not being lodged, <clears throat> not being lodged there and not growing, excuse me, I'm going to say that again. Consciousness not being lodged there and not growing, no birth of renewed existence takes place in the future, and so birth, decay, and death, grief, regret, suffering, uh, and despair are destroyed. It's the end of suffering. I'm going to say it again. The basis being absent, consciousness has no lodgment. It's no, consciousness rooted in ignorance is no longer established. Consciousness not, not being lodged there and not growing, no rebirth of renewed existence takes place in the future. And so, dukkha is destroyed. Ignorance is destroyed. In this, and notice, again, the Buddha is referring to in this present moment it's destroyed. It cannot be destroyed by past actions and it cannot be destroyed by merit that we hope to cast in in the future. It's only right here and right now with a mind well-rooted in jhana and refined mindfulness that dispassionately recognizes and abandons karma. Such is the cessation of the entire mass of suffering. A little bit later in that same sutta, this was the third knowledge I attained in the third watch of the night. So the third watch of the night is the early morning period. The Buddha is describing his awakening experience now. Ignorance was destroyed... I'm sorry, ignorance was destroyed, knowledge arose. Darkness was destroyed, light arose. As happens in one who is heedful or mindful, another word for heedfulness is mindfulness, as happens in one who is mindful, ardent, and resolute, meaning one who is staying with the path. Birth is ended, the holy life, I usually uh, substitute the word the well-integrated life, meaning well-integrated in the Eightfold Path. Uh, using the word holy in this sense means means just that, wholly integrated in the Eightfold Path. The holy life fulfilled, the Eightfold Path fulfilled, the task is done. There is nothing further for this world. That means there's no more me left in the, in the world. There's no I. And then the Buddha concludes this. I just love this little poem, if you will. Just as in the autumn, a farmer... plowing with a large plow, cuts through all the spreading rootlets as he plows. In the same way, the understanding of impermanence, the understanding of impermanence developed and frequently practiced. The understanding of impermanence developed and frequently practiced. Our next structured study is all about impermanence, the not-self-characteristic and dukkha. The impermanence developed and frequently practiced removes all sensual passion, removes and abolishes all conceit of I am. 
Then the Buddha concludes, I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions. I am born of my actions and related through my actions. My actions will determine the fortune and misfortune in my life. Whatever one continues to pursue with their thinking becomes the inclination of their awareness. That's what I started with and that's what I'll end with. Um, so this wildly um, misapplied and misunderstood teachings, both of them on karma and rebirth, um, and most of modern Buddhism is rooted in the, the magical, mystical, and speculative aspects of karma and rebirth that have nothing to do with this. Karma is simply being rooted in ignorance and it's playing out in our present moment. And as we, de- as we develop refined mindfulness, we're able to recognize and abandon the cause of karma. So that's my talk for today. Um, who should we start? Let's start with Kevin. Kevin, how are you? Glad you joined us. Steve, good evening. Hi, John. How are you, my friend? Uh, it's probably not going to be uh, comments, it's more a uh, question. So, basically, uh, still a little bit confused about karma, but question is. Uh, Karma is uh, dukkha, or it's karma produce dukkha. Karma produces dukkha. So again, it because we've listened to the pop explanation of karma, it's a little bit hard to change to thinking that it's there's no karma has no energy. There's no there's nothing acting to to uh, foment karma in our lives. Karma is this, the present state of our mindfulness, what we're holding in mind, will produce karma. And so as we're developing the Dhamma and our minds are more refined, we're no longer reacting to past and current events, so we're not creating any karma. So again, karma is the... You could, you could describe karma also as, uh, as the five clinging aggregates, because it's, it's the word applied to the personal experience of suffering in this moment. But it's a little bit more than that. Karma is also conditioned thinking. That, and this is the reason why the Buddha taught karma. Um, so that we can recognize the, effect, the effects of our conditioned thinking. We put a word on it. And so once we put a word on something, we can define it and now we can understand it. So. Did, that, did that help, Steve? Well, we got to be careful there because because we can we can manipulate karma, thinking that we can manipulate karma or gain good karma by doing good things. That's not true. That we, we that, that that that's that's ascribing a a type of energy and even consciousness to something called karma. Karma has no consciousness; it has no energy of its own, save that we get that we. What we give it, the power that we give it, or the react, the power we give it by reacting to what's occurring. So, what we hold in mind will determine our experience of karma. There's no such thing as good karma or bad karma. It's all bad in the sense that it's it's it 
it's a distraction unfolding in the present moment. So if we think we're going to do good things so that we can have good karma, we've lost our mind because we're just projecting our thoughts onto the future. And there's much of modern Buddhism is based on that misunderstanding. If I pray long enough or I chant long enough or I bow long enough or I meditate long enough, I'm going to get some reward. That's, that's manipulating your karma, but it's, it's a fabricated view. And it's, it's, it's what many modern, modern Buddhists lose their lives because they're spending their lives in that practice doing just that, trying to gain good karma, whether it's in this moment or in a future life. Most of modern Buddhism is based on a future life, much like all religions are. If you do all these good things now, you're going to get some good stuff when you die. I want to get some good stuff while I'm alive. <laughs> so I, 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 that helps, Steve? John? Hold on a second. Steve, are you good? Yes, a little bit. Okay, we can talk more about it if you want. So. Yeah. Could I, could I throw something? Please. Out? is he brings the word karma right back to its original meaning. Karma means, the word karma, karma, means nothing more than what we do. Yeah, it means action. And it is not some force. It is not something out there trying to do something for you. He just brings it back to its original meaning and, and, and to the original understanding. This karma is what we do, both in word, both in deed, and both in thought. That is all. Yep. And the consequences are all from what we do, what we think, and what we say. Very good, Ram. The word karma means action. Uh, and so it literally means, there, there's an article on the website on the Karma Sutta, and the subtitle is Acting to Awaken. So it is by our actions that we awaken, as Ram was saying. But mindful actions, right actions, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, informed by right view and right intention. So, Ram, what else you got to say? Well, that's actually, when, when I started reading through the, the, uh, the chapter here, I realized how, uh, it's again, it's a complete teaching. Yeah. It, it, it hits uh, every aspect of uh, the Four Noble Truths. It hits uh, in all the important parts of dependent origination. Um, and it is only difficult to understand is because we continually have to keep fighting these, these ideas that we've been fed for you know, as long as we've been alive and been interested in this, that this is some force. And it isn't. The Buddha is just talking about what we do. Yep. That, that's the whole thing. And, you know, and that's why he brings it back to right intention. Why yep. we do things. Yeah. And, and it, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. If, yeah, if we do it framed, you know, in, in the, under the Four Noble Truths, then you know, we get good karma, meaning that the outcome of our actions is going to be beneficial for us. As he yeah. says, 
my actions will determine fortune or misfortune in my life. Yeah. And he also brings it all right back to, to the present. It's not about previous lifetimes, uh, coming lifetimes. It is all about this, this, you know, these four lines there, which is probably, you know, six or seven words in Pali, uh, brings everything back to the present yep. and to your practice. Why? Why does the Buddha do that? Because that is where it's happening. Yep. This, is where, this is where the Dharma plays out. Here, yep. now. Right here, right now. And where does karma play out? Right here, right now. Where do we practice wise restraint? Right here, right now. How do we? What? Do, what tool do we need? What tools do we need to do to do that? We need concentration and refined mindfulness. We need to know what to hold in mind. You know. And John, this is where the practices develop. Yes. You know, you can when you look at right effort. It's the effort to you know be aware of wholesome qualities and develop wholesome qualities and to abandon unwholesome qualities. That's yes, the, that's the action we take, what you just said. I'm sorry to interrupt you. but please. Sorry, John, what did you say? I said what you just described is the action we take. Yes. Karma means action. And in each moment we have, as we deepen our practice and our concentration and mindfulness, we become aware of that very moment and that yep. in the mirror that our next moment is based on the wholesomeness of, of the, the practice and the Four Noble Truths. So yeah. there's no trick to it. It's just that development, the refinement of our practice. And yeah. it's not by uh, chance. It's, it's, you know, we're working hard at the development of, of this practice. Yeah. Wow. Beautifully said, Dave. I just, I, as you're, you... And Ram and Kevin, it's so nice to have three teachers here teaching with me because you're, you're just brilliant in what you're talking about. So thank you. Jane, how are you tonight? I'm fine, John. Um, I wrote down, take responsibility for our karma and we can end it. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. I mean, I'm the only one that can do this. Yep. And, um, and the way to end it is just like David said, you know, in the moment. Yeah. So it's all on me. It's, and, and as, as is the whole Dhamma, isn't it? it, it think about the, the brilliance of this. Cause the Buddha grew up in, in the, with the same global consciousness then that we have now, meaning belief in magic, belief in mystical experiences, belief in, in, in a, a non-physical salvation, uh, just as common then as it is now. And when you think about holding that in mind for your entire life and doing things to manipulate a future life and disregard this one, that, that's the essence of self-loathing, isn't it? It's saying my life is so crappy that I want to have a future life. This one's not good enough. And the Buddha understood that how, how, uh, how hurtful that way of thinking was because he went through it. And he realized that the, that the most precious thing is having a human life because that's what we are. It's not because having a human life is so extraordinary or, you know, thank God I'm not born a snail. It has nothing to do with that. It's understanding the preciousness of having a human life because I'm having a human life, period. Not in comparison to something other than what it could be. 
or not that it's better than being a snail or it's 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 better than being ending up in hell or something like that some crazy type of thinking having a human life is its own reward but we can't we can't afford ourselves that reward unless we're actually living this life and we can't live this life if we're pushed around by our karma and again the more i understand what the buddha taught the more brilliant I think he was. He really was just an incredible man to figure this all out on his own. Paul, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a very good teaching. Um, I read it twice. Um, it's very inclusive of all the various things and uh, origination and the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold and certain factors of the Eightfold Path. And... Uh, um, you know, it really helped to uh, give me a better perspective of what karma is because um, <clears throat> I used to think of good karma and bad karma, and that if I yeah. if I acted a certain way, I could produce good karma. And to me, that was um, making uh, you know, if I were to act kind and virtuous towards people that good things would come to me but I realized that that's not always the case I mean it could certainly influence people sometimes but that shouldn't that is not really because what I'm what I'm seeing is that I'm, I'm doing something to get something from the external world yep uh, that's that's not in my control and it should not and therefore I, I shouldn't be expecting that from the external world and, and it's really all like you said it's in the mind being mindful restrained mindfulness past the moment of contact um, so your teaching really did help me to understand that much better great. thank you yeah great thank you Paul there, there's a, a subtle hypocrisy in believing in the, the popular way of looking at karma isn't there because again if if i'm if i'm just good enough i'll get a pot of gold well that that's hypocritical because we are good enough without the pot of gold you know we're we're, we're good enough because we're having a human life period thank you paul hello my friend josh how are you out in colorado good john thank you john for the teaching and thank you for everybody's comments it's really been good and I'm going to practice right speech by practicing noble silence. It's good to see you, my friend. Hello, Meg from Hawaii. Hi, everybody. Um, so I, um, I kind of got a little bit hung up on that part, too, oh, about um, past intentional actions. Um moderated by present state of understanding um, because it seems like we don't really know what we don't know and so when we're doing something intentionally you know we may think we're doing it for the right reason mm -hmm. but maybe we're not because we're not aware of this yet so I think one of the things that that is easy to get uh, caught up in with karma is the notion of good or bad. Yep. Because there isn't really a good or a bad. I mean, That's you can right. learn from something bad that happens, so then it's good. Or something good can bring something bad. So yep. 
getting that notion of good or bad out of the karma is, you know, would be, I think, a beneficial thing. <laughs> you know, it would be easier to understand if you can get that out of it. Because it's only a learning experience that we're having. Yeah. And um, I had a couple of experiences this week uh, from d different people that I came into contact with where I recognized a behavior in those people. Either they were sharing it with me or I noticed it. And it came to my, to my mind this phrase, the, the flaws I see in others is a reflection of my own mind mm, yeah. and where I wouldn't be able to see that if I didn't have that experience myself mm -hmm. um, and so the difference is responding to the person in responding which is what has been brought up about the actions so I can either respond from a place of self-consciousness like, what am I getting out of this, or what am I repelled by? Or I can respond with a, a state of self-awareness. Oh, okay, yeah, I recognize that in myself. You know, how does this, how does this benefit someone or not? Yeah. Know? And how can I change that myself if it's something that doesn't benefit somebody or myself, you know? In some way, so, so I guess it's a kind of a still comes down to a learning experience. <laughs> well, it, it, even the Buddha says karma should be understood. Yeah, that means we have to learn yeah. what it is. But it we, but, but how do we do it? We do it within the framework of the Eightfold Path. The Buddha never taught something that he didn't also teach how to how to do it. You know, he didn't he didn't just throw these noble truths out there and say, okay, you're all good to go. He spent the rest of his lifetime teaching how do we develop understanding of four noble truths how do we develop understanding of karma but it is just that it's not um it's 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 not just a conceptual idea is it karma is something that is real within a dhamma it's not real in any other application because it, it doesn't it doesn't relate to reality at all though so. thank you meg julia how are you yeah, give Julie a little little camera time there. Oh. <laughs> hello, hello, everybody. Uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Let's see if I can do this because I didn't. I, I my notes are very scattered. I'm not gonna read anything, but I'm gonna try. Um, the thing, the one thing that I really love of the Buddha when he said this simple thing to explain karma and rebirth is karma is the field, um, consciousness the seed, and. Oh my goodness, how, how, how am I blanking out on this now? And um, craving, craving is, the is the moisture. Right. So to me, karma is the field of potentiality. It's every moment that we live is another moment, you know, is, is karma. We, we have a choice with our conscious mind to plant another seed. Yep. Uh, rooted, rooted in ignorance or rooted, in, you know, in, with the foundation of the Eightfold Path. Um, consciousness is the seed well it could be the, the you know the seed it could be a deluded mind uh yep. rooted in ignorance not conscious of four noble truths um still conditioned to a conditioned responses of all phenomena um you know it's 
clinging and craving to everything, you know, wishing things were different, wanting to be, you know, experiences of the past to be the present, all, all these type of things. That's consciousness is the seed. And then, of course, if we plant that seed in this next moment, which is the next field of karma, what we're going to grow is we're going we're gonna to grow more suffering. That's it. That, so the mind is the vehicle of perception. It, it perceives everything. And so where the mind, the state of the mind, where, where it's at, is, is what we're planting in, in the, field, the field of potentiality. So it, you know, it could, if, we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're practicing jhana, our mind is, is, is more calm, stilled, um, and we can arrest this process. We can actually stop all, all, all this um, fabrications and clinging and craving because at, at point of contact, we can see ourselves being self-referential. Yep. We can pause it, you know, pull it back. And so um, that's what I have to say. That was uh, <laughs> okay. brilliant, so Julia. Do you, do you see what we're what we're developing an understanding of? The the mind is the determining, um, the determining force within the experience of a human body. That's why a, a mind united in its body is the only way to develop full human awakening, because that mind must be present while the five physical senses are coming in contact with the world. If the mind isn't in the body when that's occurring. If it's stuck in the past or stuck in the future, there's no proper interpretation of what's actually occurring in this moment. And so the, there, there's when you see it that way, there's a there's a there's a purity of a mind united in its body, isn't it? it, it and it's a purity of experience, and that's human life. It's that purity of experience that determines human life or a lost human life. If there's no if if that purity isn't there. And that's the true meaning of, of purity as it relates to the Dhamma. It's not something, um, it, it's not like the absence of sin or the absence of, of anything wrong. It's a mind united in its body that's seeing things through that refined mindfulness of the Eightfold Path. A mind united in its body is a human being. So, thank you, Julia. You, you inspired that, what you said. Hello, Michael. Hi, John. And uh, just to... Just to uh, follow up, just what you had said on that—it's uh, that, that purity in that moment uh, in, uh, uh, where we replace uh, craving with right view and the eightfold path. That'll be the moisture now to uh, to put in uh, put an end to uh, karma in that in that moment. Yep. That, uh, um, oh, what was I going to say now? Oh, give me just one second. Oh. Take your time. We have all night. Um, no, I know. I will. <laughs> uh, no, no, take your time, Michael. You know, I had something. I had something formed here. Now, like, I write my, I write my notes all, all over the page. They're all over the page. So <laughs> sense of them, so that's my. But um, anyhow, I just wanted to uh, again, like, when it comes to. Replacing the moisture for, um, uh, for the uh, for consciousness. That's that's wherein, that's the self-reference that that's occurring there. Yep. Where we're putting that 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 moisture with uh, the eightfold uh, right view and the eightfold path, and we're removing, uh, you know that that um, 
uh, the ego self from that equation, the anatta, so to say, and that's where our, our peace and tranquility will arise from and also with the cessation of stress and suffering from yeah. that point yeah. in the present moment. Anyhow, not the way I wanted to say it, but I hope I got the point. You, you got your point across. Well said, Michael. Uh, does anybody else have any questions or comments? Okay, so Saturday we're going to look at the uh, the hindrances, I think, is the next chapter. Uh, so you all read that chapter and do your little bit of homework, and we'll have a talk on that on Saturday. Uh, those that can, please join our Thursday uh, International Sangha. We call it, uh, what is it, Cross Pond Meditation Center, because uh, it, it's based over there. Um, and we'll finish, as we always do, with Meta. Where is it? There it is. So again, take a moment to be mindful of your breathing, your in-breath and your out-breath, and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And I always like to say occasionally, this was uh, the translation by the Amaravati um, uh, the Amaravati Sangha in, in London, England. The Buddha's words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.